There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Paul Roscoe White is a retired 21-year Air Force veteran with over 1,500 hours as tactical flight instructor in the F-15E, F-16 and F-35. He still teaches and mentors young fighter pilots as a civilian contract fighter pilot instructor. Paul has also won multiple sports championships as a player and as a coach. Over the years, he has studied and developed strategies to motivate people to be better versions of themselves via a fusion of hard work, positive attitudes, and solid character traits. I loved every second with Paul, and I hope you get the motivation from this conversation to get out there and be a better version of yourself. Welcome, Paul, to The Ethical Evolution. Thanks, Benny. Thanks for having me. Now, I am super stoked to have you with me today because, uh, you know, you and I have been chatting off air and I just know that there's a million questions already I want to ask you and you've had a really cool life thus far and um, have got so many lessons to share with us. Um, Now, I I may call you Paul, I may call you Roscoe and we'll explain why very shortly. But for those who don't know you, can you go ahead and tell us who you are? Yeah, I'll give you try to give you a, a short snippet here. I grew up in Alabama. That's in the United States for your uh, overseas listeners. Um, Grew up on a cotton farm and uh, ended up joining the Air Force. I enlisted when I was 20 years old. Met my soulmate there. We've been married ever since. Uh, Ended up getting a crossover and become an officer and flew airplanes for about 13 or 14 years. Retired. I've been retired now for five years. And that's where I've kind of, I've found a new purpose. Um, The military becomes so much of your identity, I think as you're going through it. And it, it almost becomes who you are to a, to a degree, especially in a flying squadron like I was in. I mean, you get renamed for crying out loud mm. and you, you kind of take on that persona of being that guy. And then one day on January 15th, 2018, somebody had me handed me a flag and said, thank you for your service. And it was over. And I had to, I had to spend some time inside my own head, kind of reinventing who I was. And, and I, I found out a little bit about myself and, and I was happy with what I found. And I've been kind of on this little personal development journey now for about two and a half years, which I'm sure we'll get into, but that's me in a nutshell. I love it. Now let's, let's just back up the truck a little and, and go back to, you know, like I've, I love talking to pilots. I absolutely love talking to pilots because there's just, there's so many lessons to be learned one, from just flying a plane um, and also, you know, being in the Air Force, um, like you said, it changes you and your identity. Um, but, you know, we were talking about your call sign um, before yeah. we got on air. How the hell do you come up with your call sign? Like we've all seen Top Gun and they've got some pretty rad names. Like how did you come up with yours? <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so let me let me first just throw this out there, Maverick. <laughs> um, Top Gun is a drama, not a documentary. Mm-hmm. So let's just leave that leave that where it is. Um, typically, call signs are given out in fighter squadrons when you're young, uh, and I'm talking um, young as an aviator. So within the first couple of hundred of hours or so, um, it's usually given because you either screwed something up really bad or you did something tremendously heroic. Mm-hmm. And those few who don't do either of those, it it ends up, I mean, somebody has to come up with a story somehow to give you a name. And, and I'll give you a real quick on, I managed to not screw anything up really bad. <laughs> I was also not tremendously heroic. I was very middle of the grade. And um, because I was a prior enlisted guy who crossed over when I was in my 30s, I was older than most of my peers as, as far as rank goes. Uh, and the guys that I was flying with. And so one of the elders in the squadron decided to call me Roscoe, as in Roscoe P. Train from the Dukes of Hazard, because I was older than everybody, and they were pretty sure if they gave me any responsibility, I would manage to somehow screw it up. <laughs> so there you go. I love it. I absolutely love it. I, and and <laughs> the stories behind how some of them come up come about, I, I would assume, are, are so oh, funny. Oh, there's some good ones out yeah. there. And, and you'd be surprised at how much we focus when we're trying to name people how much we focus on what the letters in the name stand for. Like it almost always has to have some kind of duality or triality mm. meaning to it. Like tell a story and, and come up with a cool name. Like I, I knew a guy, um, he was called rust, which isn't terrible. I mean, it's not the best call sign, but he was called rust and it stood for, are you still talking? Because he just talked nonstop. <laughs> so a little stuff like that. So, Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm surprised I don't get that one. Anyway, <laughs> Moving on um, to when they handed you the flag. How did that come about and why? Well, I mean, I was retiring. I did 21 years and and we had made a move a couple of years prior down here to Phoenix. And we kind of knew coming into this assignment that this was going to be it for us. We Our kids were getting a little bit older. My youngest was uh, getting ready to go into sixth grade. And I was just done moving. I kind of I kind of grown out of that where the Air Force, uh, instead of being a lifestyle, it had kind of become a job. And that's when I knew I was done. Mm. Um, so I gave it due diligence. And I, I really worked hard those last couple of years, which ended up being very fruitful years and, and probably some of the best years in my career, just from where I was at and what I was doing. But um, we knew that we knew that it was over. And, and we had an event happen that was kind of the catalyst for me to go pull the trigger on, okay, it's time to retire. This is, it's, it, it's time. And it's funny, like when that rug is pulled out from underneath you and you lose your identity. So two things happened within a very short amount of time. My kids got up to where they didn't depend on my wife and I as much. Um, my youngest was about to get his driver's license and I didn't have to take him places anymore. I didn't have to take him to football practice and take him to school and take him to all his little events. And, and then I lost the military as well. And so that really kind of put me in a tailspin um, for about two years. And I got really good at watching Netflix and eating Cheez-Its, mm. which didn't do much for my psyche. It didn't do much for my reflection in the mirror. And I, I've spent the last probably two and a half years or so kind of getting, getting back on track and, and finding that mind, body, soul balance and getting myself right and, and finding a new, a new direction and a new vector to put all that energy that I had in the air force 
I mean, it's still there. You know, it's it's potential energy, and I'm trying to turn it all into kinetic energy now. Mm. And did you expect to have such a, you know, a loss, I guess, when you walked away from it? Like, in, instead of a relief, was it was it like a loss that you just weren't expecting? Because it's almost like grief, isn't it? Like, when you have that identity taken away from you that you've had for so long, that is a part of you, it's like part of you is gone. Yeah, it's funny you use that word grief because I think it I think it really is a grieving process or very similar to a grieving process, you know, and and not to go far too far down this rabbit hole, but I believe that honestly, that's one of the big reasons that our veterans, our law enforcement officers, our anybody who devotes their adult life to service, and then one day that service is over. Um, I believe that that's why we we have such a tremendously high suicide rate mm. and and uh post traumatic stress rate people you kind of lose your identity for a little bit and some people just don't cope with it very well thankfully i was able to recognize it i mean it took me a while but i was able to recognize that i was going in a direction that i personally didn't want to go um i've always i've always kind of held myself as being a little bit of a high achiever at least mindset wise. I mean, maybe, maybe the tangible fruits of that never came out. You know, maybe I don't have the plaques on the wall to prove it, but I always wanted to be the best and I always worked hard to try to be the best. And sometimes the better guy wins. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you lose, but, um, I'd found myself going down just my mentality was, was I was stuck in a rut mm. for, I guess, for lack of a better word, to just put it plainly, I was, I was really stuck in a rut and, and I really had to just kind of stand there and look at my reflection one day and go, man, I'm just not happy with me, mm. you know, and, and it wasn't anybody else's doing. It was all between my ears. It was all between my ears. And, and I think that that epiphany, that, that just revelation that one day, um, it, it really allowed me to hold myself accountable, to take responsibility and hold myself accountable, which is more difficult than it seems. I think a lot of times you have to have a lot of personal humility, I think, to to be able to pull that off and be able to say, hey, man, you're all messed up. You need to go back to formula on this and figure out figure out where this train went off the track. So um, did a little bit of introspection and and found some some key components that I could change immediately and some habits that I could change immediately. And that really that really put me on another path. And I'm really happy where I'm at. I'm not done yet. I think this is a journey and and I'm nowhere close to finished. So I guess the long or the short answer to your question is no, I did not expect it. Mm. It caught me completely by surprise. There's, there's a, don't get me wrong. When I retired, there was a certain part of me that was elated. Uh, you know, what a huge accomplishment. You stuck it out for 21 years in a very difficult career. Um, I managed to survive with three kids and a wife still intact. You know, mm. that's a lot of people can't say that mm. the divorce rate for military people is, is pretty high. Um, but I did not expect to fall off the cliff like that at the end. Mm, yeah. And I think that's globally, um, you know, a, a theme that we're seeing of people that leave the service and 100%. and want to try and integrate back into society. Um, they just don't get the support that they need, you know, like trying to yeah. go back to a, a nine to five job or even, you know, just having a regular life um, as a civilian. Yeah. Um, they're not really guided along the path, are they? They're just like, off you go. You'll be right. Now, we used to talk about, um, me and a, a couple of guys at work, we used to talk about kind of kind of forecasting when we were going to be done and go, hey, we're, where are we going to find the rage? Mm. Like that, that 
that bravado of coming into the squadron every morning and and looking the guy at, across the table in the eye and go, I'm going to beat you today, you know. And there's a certain we love the competitiveness of it, and, and we kind of had this this uh, edgers mentality where we were always trying to edge the other guy out, like, oh, that guy's in there studying. By God, I better go study, you know, because I got to be as good or better than him tomorrow when we go flying. And and I believe that that competition in the squadron it makes everybody better. It makes the whole team better for sure. Um, but then when you lose that, I mean, it's very, it's very hard to compete with yourself, Mm. even though every single day, that's what we should be doing is trying to be a better version of ourselves than we were yesterday. And that in and of itself is competition, but it's not overt. That's, that's much more of a, of an introverted activity. And until you kind of train yourself to have that mentality of trying to make small, steady improvements every day, um, and you lose that overt competition of being able, it's like, it's like going and playing basketball, you know, or, 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 or any kind of sport where you're competing against another person. I think that's much easier than competing with yourself. Oh, absolutely. And there's, there's a couple of things there that you've brought up and, and I just had a couple of ideas floating in my head. Um, you know, one is that when you're in a role like that, it, you've got this constant hypervigilance, don't you? You're like, you're, oh, yeah. you're, you're, alert all the time um and when you step away from that you're still you're still wired that way and you're like okay what do i do now well i'm still that way after after being out for five years and mm. my my friends make fun of me because i like to sit in the back of a room i'm always and i'm six foot three i'm kind of a tall guy so i can generally see over crowds but i'm always turning turning around looking around i, I always like to know what's going on around me trying to have a high degree of situational awareness um, my favorite, my favorite is to go to the airport and just watch people walking around, you know, with their heads in their phones or their head in their clouds. They have no idea what's going around them, going on around them. I am usually more vigilant than, than that. And I, I think you're right. I think it just comes from that, that training, that mentality of just being hyper aware all the time. Mm. And, you know, for those that do leave the service and, and are fi- trying to find a new path on the other side of it, it's almost like we have to come up with this, uh, I just had this idea that like, what if there was a platoon of them that came together and they were like performance coaches or something, <laughs> you know, which is where, you know, you know you're leading to, aren't you? Well, you know, mine, where where I want to go with it, I I try to get down to the individual level. Mm. Um, I know that there's a big focus on team and leadership and, and all that. And there's a lot of guys that get out of the military, whatever branch of service, the Navy SEALs are kind of famous for this. Mm. Um, they get out and they kind of go into this leadership and they're, they're very well equipped for that. I mean, mm. their job lends them to have a lot of credibility in those areas. Well, I want to take it back to the individual level. And I believe personally, if we all start with ourselves then we can elevate the people around us. And, and that's kind of where my one of five project came from is Jim Rohn had a quote, a motivational speaker. He had a quote that said, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm. And as soon as I say that to somebody, they start thinking about the five people that they hang out with the most and who influences them. Well, if we looked at it from the point of view or, or from the perspective of being one of those five people and who I influence, well, that changes the game a little bit. Suddenly, it's a little bit of pressure that's put on you and and a little bit of responsibility. And I think that if we could do that as a society, as if everybody could just take a little more ownership of their own personal well-being and their own personal standards and work really hard at raising those, then it elevates everybody else. Kind of get back to that competition and that that edgers mentality, 
I think if if I can elevate my game, then maybe that motivates you or inspires you to elevate your game and then everybody wins. Yeah, and that's the whole theme through this podcast, you know, like the change begins with us. Um, I remember, oh, I think it was during the height of COVID, uh, I spoke to a guy who who used to be, um, uh, he used to be in SWAT. He was in a SWAT team. He would be a breach, you know, uh, doors and yeah. stuff like that. And um, you know, he's he's a big guy. You know, I don't think I want to mess with him. And um, I thought, gosh, this is going to be an interesting conversation. What are we going to talk about? He ended up talking about feelings and heart-centered stuff and how we all need to look at ourselves in the mirror. And I was like, my God, that was the most connected conversation I have had with anyone. And when you just said that on the same path, I was just like, is this something that gets embedded into the mentality of people who've been of service uh, that understand if you don't withhold yourself to a particular standard, how are we actually going to create a change in the world? Well, I think, okay, so I think there's two things there and there's a little bit to unpack on each one. So mm. one of them is, yes, my career field and and those that were part of high-performing teams such as or, or equal to what I did, um, there is an element there to holding yourself to a higher standard. Like you don't you don't get to the level of flying pointy-nosed jets by sucking, you you generally have to be pretty darn good consistently. Like you can't, you can't let it taper off. You can't plateau. You have to constantly always be learning and always be honing your craft for years at a time. And you just kind of get used to that. I don't know. You get used to that way of life. You get used to that, that idea of always one up in yourself or always learning something new, learning a new tactic, learning how to defend against another threat or, or whatever it may be. Um, anything that gives you, a leg up on the competition, whether that competition is sitting in the same briefing room as you that morning, or whether that competition is when you get ready to go across the line to fight the bad guy. Right. And, and, and that's one, you know, typically it's kind of funny, like you, you brought up Top Gun earlier and, and we were kind of joking about it, but there's a, there's a little bit of, um, I don't know, they paint this personality of the fighter pilot as being kind of cocky and arrogant and, and carries himself, you know, kind of that way. Well, it's not cockiness per se. A lot of it is confidence. Mm. And now don't get me wrong. There are those guys out there. Yeah. Sure. I mean, there are the dudes who like to go and play shirtless volleyball and show off their six pack <laughs> abs. But for the most part, we are we are just tremendously confident in what we do. And we have to be because when you're when there's no reverse and you're slinging yourself at 500 miles an hour into a fight head first, you have to know that you're the best, not think you're the best, not, not pretend that you're the best. You have to know that you can beat that guy. Your training is sound. Your general knowledge is, is superb to everyone around you. And you've trained so many times to do this that oftentimes it's, you you don't, you're not even thinking about the action that you're doing. You're just, your body is just doing it. And, and I love football. I love following football. And my, my favorite coach out there, Nick Saban, he says, you, we have to do things so many times. We have to do things right so many times that we don't know how to do them wrong. And, and we really take that into, into our career field in flying fighter jets of we, we practice it so many times and we get down to the nitty gritty details. Oh, you flew 340 knots when you should have flown 320 knots. I mean, the smallest details can make a tremendous amount of difference in the tactics that we're flying or whether or not we're going to win. Mm, yeah. And 
there would have been so many lessons that you on the other side of, of that career now have that you share with others. If you could pick out one lesson to share that could give people the most impact from your career, what would it be? My career, I actually got to write a chapter for a book called I Love America, and I wrote my chapter on opportunity. And my whole career, in in 21 years, I only did the same job twice, one time. And it was always, I, I was always assigned to a different place or assigned to a different unit to do a different task or, or something like that. I was always learning something new. And, and it really came down to recognizing opportunity when it presented. When I was, when I was maybe three or four weeks out of basic training, I was in Wichita Falls, Texas at, uh, at my next base, learning how to be uh, an F-15 mechanic sitting in a Chelsea's bar and grill restaurant. My crew was sitting on one end of the table and on the other end of the table in walks another crew to kind of meet up with us. And the lady that sat down next to me is still sitting in my living room in there. That was 26 years ago. And it was because I recognized an opportunity and I started a conversation with her. We became friends. We started dating and that was in, you know, and, and I think if, if people can become aware to recognize opportunities when they come up. Just like when I saw your podcast come up on the list and I was like, well, this looks really interesting. That's an opportunity, but there's another element to that. So one, you recognize the opportunity. This is a, this is a pivot point. This is a a potential connection. This is a potential, a potential um, networking opportunity, or this is a potential, you know, climb up the ladder or, or whatever it may be. You recognize that opportunity. The second part to that is you have to be fearless enough to take the opportunity. And you really just have to jump off the darn cliff sometimes. Uh, when we, so I finished up all my schooling um, about eight years into my career, and we had a decision to make. My wife and I had a big decision make to make, and I put it in a package to go to officer school, and I got accepted. We could have said no. So there's an opportunity sitting there, right? And we talked about that decision for about a week. Uh, off and on. And and we dug down, we got a notebook out and we started writing down pros and cons and who's and why's and where's and all this. And we finally just said, you know what, screw it, let's do it. So there was, there was that element there. We recognized the opportunity because we knew that if we took that opportunity, that we were going to be in it for the long haul and we're going to be in for at least 20 years, or we take what we've got now, we get out, we move on with life. Right. And so there was that second element there, that fearlessness, to be able to take that opportunity, you don't know what's around the corner sometimes. You don't know how it's going to work out. There's a there's a big, giant question mark out there, but sometimes you just kind of have this, eh, let's just go for it and see what happens. Mm, I love that. And and that's sort of um, what was resonating for me in, in that response. And also, you know, when you're in that, that, that uh, pilot seat is – there's no fear. There's no doubt. It's just you've got the confidence, you know what you're doing, and you just trust in your gut. You know, it's your intuition is a big part of this as well. And yeah, it's the same with this decision making. You know, the minute you've got fear or doubt, (laughs) it's not going to (laughs) work. Well, I mean, but being decisive comes down to experience. Mm. It comes down to preparation. And a little bit of it comes down to mindset, Mm. you know, and, 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 and again, that fearlessness. And so 
if you have the experience and, and we get to do that every day, we get to go in and we train and, and we get to learn and, and, you know, identify our errors so that we don't make them again. Um, and then the preparation, that's, that's all self that that's all yourself. You know, you, you have to stay in the books. You have to keep learning. And all of this is a great metaphor for life, by the mm. way, if, if we haven't just came right out and said it, I'll, I'll, I'll go out and say it. Um, great metaphor for life is just be prepared for whatever, you know, and, and it's, it's tough. Like you never know what life is going to change, what life is going to present to you. And uh, I, I'm, I hung on a quote that a guy told me one time and, and uh, a good friend of mine, I don't know where he got this from, but he said, life will continue to present you the opportunity to learn a lesson until you actually learn the lesson. And I take that and I kind of unwind that just a little bit and go, well, if I'm prepared as prepared as I can be. I mean, my finances are prepared. My, uh, I, I got my schooling done. I'm, I'm trying to be the best I can at my job every single day. You know, little things like that. I keep my body in shape. I keep my mind, body, soul in balance. All of these things lead to preparation. You gain experience every day, whether you know it or not. And then it comes down to that decisive piece of it where based on those two things, make the right decision you know, weigh the pros and cons, make the right decision. And here's another piece. You don't, you might not know if it's the right decision, but choosing not to choose is still a choice, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you do nothing, you, you're absolutely going to lose. So you have to make a choice one way or another. The best thing is though, is once you make that choice, you get to evaluate, you get to assess. I made a choice. I make it, I made a decision. Was it the right decision? You know, let that play out for just a little bit. If it was great, go with it kill and move forward. If it wasn't the right decision, guess what? Make another decision mm. and and see where that fork takes you. So it's it's kind of this ongoing process. Mm. And that consistent action is is a big part of it too. Like it's all part of that choice and and adjusting and 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 keeping on moving. I, I'm also curious throughout your career and and all of that change and all of that growth, what would you say was the hardest thing for you to do? Hmm. Um, honestly, you know, I kind of alluded to it earlier. I think it's very difficult. Um, it's very difficult to, to maintain balance. Um, and I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about personal balance. I mean, in a way I am, I guess, but, um, balance between what I think is important versus what is important. And by that, I mean, we, we take on this, this mentality of I'm a military guy, you know, I'm a fighter pilot or, or whatever it may be, you know, I'm a SWAT team member, or I'm a firefighter, you know, well, you're also a dad, you're a husband, you're a son. And sometimes finding that right balance and, and, you know, we were talking about call signs and all that earlier, the, the night that I got my call sign, by the way, I didn't say this, but there's a lot of drinking involved in that. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, a lot of drinking <laughs> it, digress, but it leads to a point. Um, the night that I got named, my wife drove down to where I was and we met up afterwards. The next day, my 12 year old was playing in a championship baseball game in our hometown, about three and a half hours away. And I didn't go. So looking back on it, I wish that I would have had a little bit better of a handle at the time in the moment of the things that are super important versus the things that aren't. And I used to say this, you know, it took me a long time to get to that point 
once I finally did, I had about seven years left in the Air Force. And I can tell you that my everything changed. Home life changed. My professional life changed because I was so much more relaxed. You know, I was mm-hmm. I was able to be me and not this character of myself. Um, but going back, I think that I would have liked to have been just a little bit more of aware of those moments so that I could have here's, here's what I used to tell my, my family. When I finally realized I used to tell my family, you know what, when, when I'm old and I'm 80 and I'm wearing diapers, it's not going to be the bros at the fighter squadron that are the, that are there to change them. It's Mm going to be my family. Mm -hmm. And I wish that I would have known that when I was like 25 instead of 35 or, or whenever it was. Yeah. And, and that's, it's just that perspective, isn't it? And, and I, I would imagine, you know, for, for many men in particular, it would be a very hard, Thing to do um, because the, the, they can be so focused um, on on getting to the end game. Um, that well, you see that you yeah. see it a lot though in anyone who is like super driven, mm. right? Uh, and you see it in, in corporate America. You see it, and it's not a male female thing. It's it's anyone who is just that that type A eat your young kind of guy or gal. Unfortunately for us, we're surrounded by like fifty of those people every day. You know, it's not like walking into a boardroom where you're the only lion yeah. in the room. Mm-hmm. You know, I walk into my squadron and it's a room full of lions, you know, <laughs> and, and, and we just, we just, I don't know, it, it's, it perpetuates itself. It's like a snowball. It just keeps growing. Mm, incredible. Now, uh, you did mention uh, earlier that you'd uh, written a chapter in a book, but you've written heaps more than that. Do you want to tell us about it? So, so I got to do that project and that project was a jumping off point. I, I got to that project by inquiring about another project that I was working on. Um, and in the process of talking about that project and then getting to work on the Isle of America, I published another book called No New Lessons. No New Lessons is um, I got to take a, a pretty epic hike in Alaska in 2009, me and two of my buddies. And again, kind of back to that type A, you know, we're going to win at all costs kind of mentality. Um it's a, it's a really good, I think it's a good read. It's a fun story. There's a lot of what the heck kind of moments in there. Um, but it's based, it's loosely, it's largely based on decision-making, planning, or lack thereof. And then in the end, it's just a battle of wills. Mm. Um, you have to complete this. Like there's no, you don't have an option to quit. At some point you get out into the middle of nowhere, you you have to go home. Like there's no rescue. There's no you have to self-rescue at some point. So it, it became a, a kind of an internal battle with ourselves to just go left foot, right foot for about 25 miles. Um, now, those two projects came about because of the project I'm working on now, and I'm, I'm trying to put it out probably in May or so, and it's called Work Hard, Don't Suck. <laughs> that book is strategies and tactics for raising children with honor, character, and discipline. And I got this from as I said, my, you know, my kids are a little bit older last year, about January of last year, my youngest boy comes in, goes straight to his room, slams the door, didn't say a word. And I leaned up and I looked at my wife and I said, I think we're done raising our kids, but we've taught them all the stuff, right? And now we just got to polish it a little bit and then kick them out into the real world. So I decided I was going to take all the dumb dad advice that I've been giving them for all these years. I was going to make a list and I was going to write one page on each topic. I ended up with 160 topics. So I broke it down and work hard. Don't suck is going to be the first volume. It's uh, 61 of these topics and 
it spans everything from mentality to hard work to financial discipline to there's just some fun stories in there to relationships and leadership and goal setting. I mean, there's there's all kinds. It's a, it's a it's a really good scatter of a lot of different topics. And I wrote it from the perspective of me talking to my boys. So I gave it to them for Christmas. I gave them the very first rough draft of it for Christmas so that they could just see it in its raw form. And, and right now it's being edited and, and we're doing some cover design and things like that. So we'll look for that one to come out sometime in May, probably. Amazing. So if people want to get in touch and find out more about you or even grab your books, where can they go? Yeah, go to uh, com, and all of my books, all of, I've got a little blog section over on the far right. Um, if you wanted me to come and do some kind of speaking engagement, I've got all the contact info, uh, info there. I've also got some links to some different writings and, and different programs that I have uh, on my website as well. And then on all the socials, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook, it's Paul at Paul Roscoe White. Amazing. Now, I got the last big question for you, Roscoe. And uh, I think I know what the answer is going to be. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? It's, it's a simple one, but, uh, but I think it's very, it's not easy. Simple does not mean easy. I, I wish that everybody would just kind of, I wish that they would stop worrying so much about what other people are doing and focus on themselves. You know, go back to that kind of that Stephen Covey, um, how to influence people and um, focus on the things that you can control. And we see so much bickering back and forth, whichever side of whatever it is you're on, there's so much bickering about things that you just really can't control. And I think if you would focus on internal, do some internal inspection and some internal improvement, worry less about what other people are doing and more about what you're doing, I think it'd just make the world a little bit better place. I could not agree more with that one. I, just this week, there was a particular day where things kept happening one after the other and I turned around and I said to someone, when will someone stop getting up in everybody else's business? Like seriously, <laughs> like got nothing to do with you. <laughs> so you find, yeah. I find myself happier too when I just, you know, if you see something on whether it's social media or YouTube or the news or whatever it is, if you see something that kind of starts to get you riled up a little bit, first thing I ask is, well, who's the source for one? Mm. And then, well, what can I do about it? How does it affect me and what can I do about it? If the answer is not much, I just, I, I kind of just move on. Mm. And and that's it. You know, people can be so quick to jump on social media nowadays. And it's just like, if I could give any advice, just stop and breathe before you yeah. go and be a keyboard hero because it's it's keep, not worth it. <laughs> just keep scrolling, man. Yeah. Just keep scrolling. <laughs> Look, I have enjoyed every single second with you, Paul. Um, you're an amazing human and thank you so much for thank being you. a part of the ethical evolution. Thank you and thank you for what you're doing with your podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? 
Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives' activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with ElectroCast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of ElectroCast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join ElectroCast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to ElectroCast.com and join our community today. Electricast, transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.